Greetings everybody, hello, welcome to a video that's impromptu for those of you who follow this channel and listen to the various different things that Mary and I say, thank you for your time, thank you for bearing with us while we um, are in between addresses. I want to just bring something today from Leviticus 6 and specifically ask for your response. I'd love to know what you think about this and my attempt here is to answer, ask and then answer the question, what should happen when Christian leaders or Christian ministries fail morally and in whatever guise that may be, financially, sexually, um, in other areas of sin, what should we do? What should happen when Christian leaders and Christian ministries, what should happen when they fail, when they fall? And I ask the question partly because, as everybody is aware, the incidence of this happening is shockingly regular. I had written a whole chapter in my latest book, The Glorious Few, entitled, Wasn't Ravi Enough? wasn't Ravi enough, Ravi Zacharias and the mind-boggling sin in that example of, of that man's life. Um, so if you want to read that, you need to get the book. But I ask this question not only because of that, but because of the, I suppose, the, the regularity with which sexual, particularly sexual financial um, scandals are brought to light and I think it it leaves people very disheartened, very disen um, discouraged, um, disenchanted and on the one hand and then I think on the other I think there is what is a, a wrong response which is a, a sense of fatalism like this is there's no surprise here, Christian leaders just fail all the time. And it kind of breeds this, Selavi, we're covered by the blood of the Lamb, we're covered by grace, let's just crack on. Look at King David. Look at King David, didn't he fall morally, and so on and so forth. Um, or it, it results in this this thing where there's no expect, there's no standard for Christian leaders. So let's just look at, at Leviticus chapter 6, and I want to read the first seven verses, give you some of my observations as I'm asking this question, as I'm posing this question, what should happen when Christian leaders or Christian ministries fall morally? What should happen? Give you some of my thoughts quickly, and then I would love you to comment, let me know what you think should happen in response to this question. So let's go to Leviticus 6. And these first seven verses. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbour in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbour or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realised his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, 
he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. Leviticus is an amazing book. I'm currently reading through the Bible in its entirety for the second time in recent months and probably the book of Leviticus struck me and impacted me more than others. As you go from Leviticus 5 into Leviticus 6, the the main difference, if you look at the text, is the shift from the conditions that are being described to Moses and therefore to Israel about the sin of various different contexts. In chapter 4, for example, verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments, etc., etc., and then it goes through these chapters, and it comes to chapter 6, and the shift is, the initial shift in the first verse of chapter 6, is that there is a willful deception. The chapters before chapter 6 are dealing with this scenario in which what happens, what should have happened then, when there was an unintentional sin, an ignorant sin, when a common person or a leader, it says in chapter 4 verse 22, when a leader sins, doing unintentionally any one of all the things that, and so on. So there's a shift in from these preceding chapters into chapter 6 in verse chapter 6 verse 1 the Lord spoke to Moses saying if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor there's a new category here it's the category of willful sin not not ignorant not unaware but willful premeditated a choice was made I hope you can see that it reminds me I'm just flicking to it now in Psalm 19 Verse 12, King David wrote, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. The NIV, I think it is, that that renders that willful sins. And this is what we're seeing in Leviticus 6 here when Moses, the Lord is speaking to Moses about the situations that happen that are deliberate, presumptuous, willful, premeditated, preconceived. When you think of Rabbi Zacharias or you think of sexual sin in the church or you think of leaders who have adul- commit adultery and have affairs, this is presumptuous, willful, deliberate sin. And there is a difference. And this isn't something that changes just because Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. This is not a dispensationally covered thing. Grace is still, we are in this new dispensation, but it doesn't change the realities that we're seeing here in the Old Testament. So I'm trying to answer the question here. What should happen when Christian leaders or Christian ministries deliberately, willfully, and then another emphasis in these Leviticus chapters in chapter 6 verse 4 is important. Look what it says. 
if he, that's the person who's deliberately sinned, deceived and so on, if he has sinned and has realised his guilt, that's a category that's come before this chapter and is con- consistent through it, that when when these situations happen, of course, you have various different responses, various different degrees of coming to your senses. To take King David as an example, when Nathan came to David and said, you are, you are that man, what, what was David's response? And when, it, when we think of what did it look like and feel like for King David to have realised his guilt, he fell on the floor. He didn't eat. While the child was sick, his son was sick, the child with Bathsheba was sick, his wholehearted response is one of the, one of the I'm not going to go into David now, but that is what set him apart from any other biblical character. So this, this question of what should happen when a Christian leader or Christian ministry falls morally in a deliberate way, it's this, the emphasis in chapter four, in verse 4 here is this realising if he has sinned and has realised his guilt, there's something of that that you should therefore expect what happens next after that to, in a sense, validi- give validation to whether or not that realisation was genuine and wholehearted or not. Look what it says in verse 4. If he has sinned and has realised his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression in the Bible here in these verses giving lots of different potential scenarios as to what the deliberate sin could have been but the point is that the realization of guilt resulted in a proportional response and the detail that I think is given here is significant look um, in verse 5 or anything about which he is sworn for he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give to him to him who it belongs on the day he realises his guilt. So on the day he realises his guilt, he shall bring, in verse 6, a compensation to the Lord, a ram without blemish. That's another in- picture and indication of wholeheartedness, by the way, um, out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord and he shall be forgiven any of the things that one may do and there- thereby become guilty. So, there's the shift into a conscious, deliberate choice to sin as opposed to the previous scenarios that were ignorant and unaware, oblivious, you might say. Then there is the importance of coming to realise guilt. And then there is a response of wholeheartedness to deal with that for the purposes of atonement, forgiveness. As, I, as I've read through this book, I've underlined every occasion that the word blood every occasion that the word blood comes up. One of the disadvantages, I think, of the day and age that we live in is we don't have an appreciation of the preciousness of blood, the preciousness of the blood of Christ, the severity of sin, the consequences for sin. And in answering this question, what should happen when a Christian leader or a ministry is exposed for being complicit in sexual sin, financial sin, whatever moral failure it's been, the context here for Leviticus and for us today remains the blood, remains the death. Death is connected with atonement. It can't 
for without the, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission for sin. And so something dies, and we see that in Narnia. We see Aslan's death as a obviously as a as a copy of Christ, as a type of Christ. And I think today we forget that, quite frankly, which is why there's this cela vie, laissez-faire attitude towards major sexual sin or moral failures in other way. And so apart from the requirements for eldership that we see Paul writing to Timothy and Titus and so on in the New Testament, I'm talking about the general context for leadership, the standard that we know from the book of James that teachers and preachers and so on will be held more accountable for their, what should happen? This is what I think should happen. In the cases, I'm going to use the, the case of adultery and affairs and so on. When that happens, firstly, it should break all of our hearts. Um, but the issue is not whether or not there is forgiveness available and atonement, for, because we have once and for all been forgiven by the blood of Christ. Therefore, there is no now no, no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean to say that there aren't consequences. And when ministries are exposed on some level as being complicit in covering up sexual sin, um, affairs within the leadership of the ministry and the and the advice from other leaders or other people is just quietly deal with it on a local level even though the the ministry might have a global reach and a global influence attracting and inviting global financial investment even though all those people aren't being told about those realities is that is that the wisdom of God is that the way that the that the father wants that to be dealt with it's not to say that there's no forgiveness and no restoration but but when there is this clinging on to the ministry that has been exposed as, as having been morally corrupt or morally when there's a, an unwillingness to let that go in other words it's an unthinkable thing that the leaders who have been guilty, the leaders who have been sinful, and f it's unthinkable that they would stop in that role of leadership. When that happens, I think there is a question mark over the process in this chapter of chapter 6 Leviticus. There's a question mark for me over whether the repentance is real. There's a question mark over whether there is a genuine realising of one's guilt. And there is a question mark over whether the restoration that we see in these chapters, in these verses, has actually happened. God will never be glorified by papering over the cracks. And all the while there is this advice that certain things have to go on. The show has to go on. It's too important to the kingdom for it to not go on. There is a severe question mark in my mind as to whether we've even understood the blood of Christ in the new dispensation of grace of which we are immensely privileged to be a part. So to answer my question, what do I think should happen? I think as this these verses of chapter 6, these opening verses make clear there are different scenarios, different contexts, different circumstances that of course have to be part of the, the assessment of the situation but in the case of 
sexual infidelity, unfaithfulness, adultery, I think restoration will only happen and repentance will only be proven to be wholehearted and true and legitimate and authentic when there is a willing for everything to be on the table. And if the leaders or the and or the ministry, governing boards, whatever, in their attempt to deal with this, are essentially saying we'll con we'll contain it and we'll deal with this and not let it become publicly known because of the damage it would do. For me, that does not glorify God. It isn't truthful. It's not transparent. It's not the example that King David gives, even though people will want to use King David as an example as to why sexual sin and adultery doesn't necessarily exclude others from leadership. If the attitude is that it's just a question of time before this leadership gets back into its saddle and the show can go on, that for me isn't the attitude. The attitude should be, thank you, Lord, that atonement is possible because you've died on the cross and forgiven my sin. Thank you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And thank you for not killing me. Thank you that we're not in the Old Testament. Thank you that I'm not being stoned for the adultery in question or for the illicit, whatever it is, sexual behaviour. And I think leaders who have fallen in these ways should relinquish their leadership, regardless of the consequences that that might have for a wider global ministry. There's something more important here. There's something more important. And um, so my answer is, I think leaders who fall, ministries that fall sexually, um, should deal with it fully and openly in a proportional way for the global audience that it's affecting and it is affecting the global audience even if you don't tell them about it. I think that it should be dealt with fully, openly, transparently and I don't know, I'm not saying that I don't think that leaders who have fallen in this way could ever be in leadership again, I don't know but what I'm saying is if the attitude is that that can't ever it can't ever possibly be right that a leader is removed permanently. If that's what people are saying, then that question that's a question mark for me over whether there's been a genuine realising of one's guilt, a genuine repentance, and a genuine restoration that should happen. I think leaders who have... I think we're in great, great and grave danger from viewing sexual marital inf infidelity and unfaithfulness. I think we're in danger of viewing that as just a slight, as just a, well, King David had an affair. Look at him. He was king of Israel. And we then breed this standard for Christian leadership rather than calling people higher. And I think a critical part of this, calling men and women, actually, in different contexts to a higher place of accountability is to say, Listen, if there's been marriage, something as serious as marital unfaithfulness, adultery, then please don't assume that you will ever lead again. Please don't assume, please don't have the attitude of, I'll just go through a few quiet months on the, on the, 
on the back foot and then eventually I'll get back to where I was. Please don't assume that, guys. That's not the way of God, in my opinion. I'd love to know what you guys think.